Hello and welcome to Marketing Connected. I am your host, Janice Tan. Each week, we will speak with industry leaders on pertinent topics in the marketing and advertising scene across Southeast Asia remotely. Our guest for today is investigative journalist and founder of the blog Sarawak Report, Claire Rue Castle-Brown. She is well known for her expose on the 1MDB scandal in Malaysia and will be sharing why she continued pursuing the story despite being harassed and vilified. Claire will also talk about the importance of funding public interest journalism as well as what the future holds for Malaysia's media industry. Hi Claire, thanks for joining us today. We are so honoured to have you on our podcast series. Your expose on the 1MDB scandal is certainly one for the ages and I'm pretty sure our listeners would love to hear more from you. When your blog, Sarau Report, was first launched in March 2010, you mainly concentrated on timber corruption in Borneo and the impact on its people and environment. But as fate would have it, on the Christmas of 2013, you sensed that there might have been a bigger connection between the Wolf of Wall Street movie and the 1MDB scandal. And of course, being an investigative journalist, it was in your nature to pursue this trail. So, for the benefit of our listeners out there, could you briefly tell us how your expose on 1MDB started? Well, yes, you're right, Janice. Um, It's terribly hard for a journalist, as you know, to resist a simply fantastic story. And, you know, this had all the ingredients, didn't it? I mean, there we are. It's the biggest Hollywood movie of of the year with the biggest stars um, about, um, you know, the most sort of... And it was a shocking, provocative movie. Um, all about stealing money from people, from, from victims, and then splurging it on yourself. And, you know, what, what was so wonderfully ironic about this was, of course, that was how the movie was being financed. I, I, I realized as I sat and um, unraveled what was going on with um, Wolf of Wall Street that, that winter. I sort of stumbled on the story because I was looking at Malaysian issues, at Malaysian corruption issues. And actually, I still believe that those, those issues that I was looking at, the deforestation, the oppression of um, the indigenous uh, folk in Malaysia, um, the lack of um, transparency, the corruption, um, the abuses of power, actually, those are bigger, sto- or bigger stories ultimately than 1MDB. I mean, this, this is about the future of our planet. Um, but 1MDB was, was just one example of a wider picture of what's going on in Malaysia at the time and what is going on in a lot of corrupt countries and which is being facilitated uh, in many ways by the way that um, as, a, as a global system, uh, we are facilitating all of this, the, the secret offshore um, structures that enable uh, major criminals to hide their money. Um, and, um, you know, a whole industry of professionals, uh, largely working from the advanced economies, um, who are allowing um, people with positions of political power in uh, less uh, well-governed areas of the world, the more remote, the more vulnerable areas of the world, to exploit billions of people, make their lives worse. So this is what was motivating my, um, my work about timber corruption in Borneo, um, and uh, which is a massive, massive story for the planet, um, and um, you know, a, a massive, uh, a massive financial scandal that's yet to have been uh, properly explored. Um, and in the context of that, I found this this wonderful story 
about what Najib and his crew were up to in Hollywood. Your reporting on 1MDB has caused you to be a target of smear campaigns. You have had fake Twitter accounts being used to discredit you, and even a website known as Malay Messenger, for example, was created as part of a fake news internet campaign against you in 2013. What was it like for you then, especially in terms of your mental health? Uh, yes, I mean, gosh, there were so many sites, so many campaigns. Um, you know, you'd wake up one morning, and you know that suddenly there'd be a, you know a whole new operation would be underway with with all these criticisms. Um, and um, you know, uh, something that a journalist, particularly an investigative journalist, learns pretty early on and, and starts to you know you have to get to grips with this mentally is when people start turning against you as the journalist. Well, that means you're having an impact. <laughs> you know, uh, don't take it personally. Um, if these guys could unravel your story, if they could uh, show your journalism to be at fault, then they would deal with you simply by doing just that. But because they can't deal with you because you're telling the right story, uh, you're telling the truth, and it's having an impact, so what do they do? They, they start to try and attack you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so when, so when, when, when uh, people turn on journalists, you realize they, you know, they can't, they can't uh, rebut the story. Uh, and people need to realize that. And journalists have to be, um, you know, have to be phlegmatic about that. Uh, it, the going can get tough uh, when, uh, you know, uh, people in the public eye start to, um, start to target you as the journalist when all you're doing is your job, reporting mm-hmm. uh, in the public interest what's going on. So that's how you cope with it mentally. You say, oh, good, right. So clearly, um, clearly they're having to uh, attack me. Um, that means I'm, you know, they're struggling. I mean, that, that's, that's the first thing you do. Um, you then, you know, you, you, you then actually, it's a story on its own. Um, what, what was, it was, it was really interesting to watch as all these attacks uh, started to develop because um, it gave me an early uh, sort of kind of insight into the deliberate manipulation of social media. Um, mm. It hadn't occurred to me, you know, I'm a fairly simple, straightforward sort of person. Um, I could see that social media online uh, was a brilliant way of communicating that humans hadn't had before. You know, I could sit in London um, and write about Malaysia uh, um, and communicate with Malaysians and get stories back from Malaysia which was very handy given that journalists at that time were, were too intimidated to do that. So, so I felt I was performing quite a useful role in that respect. Mm-hmm. But w- what I didn't even think of at that time was that likewise, this could be used the, for the most appalling abuses, to deceive, to make things up, to, to um, create. And, and you know, um, as I started to become the target of these operations, I started to investigate the whole world of manipulative PR that had seen an opening, uh, a way to make money by assisting oppressive regimes, corrupt people who had lots of money, who would pay them to abuse social media, to mislead people um, in a way that, you know, perhaps innocent practitioners weren't aware of. And so um, I started to, to, to really, yeah, I started to look who's doing this. And I, I very soon discovered it was the people doing these attacks on me were actually, by and large, uh, sophisticated PR companies based back home, you know, near me in London, lots of them. Um, you know, these weren't angry Malaysians as they pretended to be. These were slick, you know, city-suited 
um, well-educated British and American people who used to be journalists in many cases and have decided to make a little bit more money in public relations going into this dirty underworld of fake social media. And they were, you know, they were using all their skills and abusing all their skills to try and discredit, defame me and, you know, create a whole fake uh, news platforms, you know, on social media to try and give people a way of attacking me. So that was a really useful insight. I mean, there was one company, FBC Media, um, which I exposed very early on. Bell Pottinger was another company, one of the biggest, most prestigious British PR companies ever that was eventually exposed um, for attacking myself and many others. And of course, it's now been closed down for its egregious activities. And there are others because there's so much money in this. So that became, yes, a parallel investigation. Um, so finding myself the target of this actually opened up a great new uh, area of investigation for me as a journalist. Sarawak Report was blocked from 2015 to 2018 due to reporting of 1MDB. You also sought police protection in London after being followed and photographed in Hyde Park. Was there a point in time you wanted to throw in the towel? Well, if I was doing this for money, yes, I would, wouldn't I? Because, um, you know, you're, it's not a great business model, uh, you know, doing this sort of thing. In a way, I haven't really thought about giving up because um, I don't know how I could now. Um, I mean, I, I, keep, I sort of look to think, I wonder if, you know, when we get to that stage of things, then maybe I could, maybe I could give up. I could sort of go and, you know, teach journalism to you know, young, you know, uh, teenagers who might be interested at school or something. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I can go and have a quiet life. But uh, yes, I, I've not quite reached that corner yet. And you can't just walk away from something as big as what's been going on with Malaysia and 1MDB. How can I? There's always people like you ringing me up, wanting to, uh, want, wanting to push this on. As journalists, we carry the stories of people we meet with us. I assume the stress on you must have been immense. How did you handle the fear and worry that comes with investigating such stories? Fear is the greatest enemy. You mustn't let fear run away with you. Um, you, you, have to be, you have to keep calm in a crisis. I did, what, look, 20 years in live television. You know, you have to get used to that feeling of, oh my God, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, you're going to have to perform. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to jump over your words like I am now. You know, you've got to relax, you've got to get it right. And you just have to make the best of them. And you have to, you know, and if things start to go wrong, all you can do is make the best of the situation. And the, and the way to do that is to keep calm. You're not going to make mm -hmm. things better by letting fears run away with you. So those are sort of, you know, that's the sort of mental approach that kind of my job kind of enforced me to adopt. And I found that very useful um, when things have got a bit, you know, scary or shaky or pressured um, in the course of this 1MDB situation. It really doesn't help to get wound up, shout, scream, panic. It only helps to take a deep breath and think, right, what's the best way to handle this? How do you deal with critics who question your ethics and professionalism and accuse you of sensationalism? Yes, these are sort of, you know, what does it mean? Sensationalism. Sensationalism is telling, you know, is, is inflating a story beyond what it really is. How could you inflate the sensational nature of the 1MDB story? A prime minister caught stealing billions and splurging it on a Hollywood movie. Um, it was a sensational story. I would have been hard 
put to sensationalize it further. Um, so that was silly, wasn't it? Um, you, you know, uh, what, I, what I do when you get those kind of um, criticisms thrown directly at you is you say, tell me where the story's wrong. Tell me <laughs> where the journalism's wrong. What, what else were, were you criticizing me for? Uh, sensationalism and you had some other oh sensationalism and ethics they also questioned your ethics oh yeah right well what, what's you know um, again it's kind of like what are they talking about I'm telling the truth if I'm not telling the truth then show that I'm not telling the truth um, so, so this is all just empty insults um, and um, they're desperate insults it's meaningless to attack uh, a journalist um, if, if, if you can attack the story um, and mm -hmm. um, yes all sorts of um, accusations are made against me uh, you know uh, oh Claire is uh, receiving millions for doing you know for writing these stories I can't tell you the people I'm supposed to be working for one minute I'm working for this guy and next minute I'm working for that guy well, you know, one minute it's millions here. Well, all I can say is what you're telling me is that what I'm writing actually for free, I am a nutcase, but actually I'm writing it for free. What I'm writing is doing you millions of dollars of damage. That's what you're saying. So I'm gratified by that. That's rewarding to know. Um, and I hope that that money is, um, you know, is kind of like, you know, the public got it for free. So that saved the public a lot of money. So that's mm -hmm. the way I feel about that. Um, they're complimenting me. When, when I do a story and I attack some, you know, very powerful people, you know, I do a little bit of work on it. I bother to get some facts and some proof and I bother to do a little bit of research so, you know, things match up. We can see that it's the thing, you know, facts corroborate, you know, that there isn't some big hole in the story that, you know, mm -hmm. undermines anybody being able to believe it. You know, you, you kind of do the journalism, but these people who attack me, they don't do any work at all. They just, they just push out a lie that they make no effort to, to cooperate in any way. So, so they're just, you know, they're, they're just words. Um, mm. I, you know, I have nothing but disdain for them. And I think most people can see when someone's spouting lies and where someone's taken the trouble to write a truthful story. For more than three years, Claire, you were harassed and vilified. Has this changed your life in any way? Nothing much. Um, I mean, that's the joy of the internet. Um, you know, um, I, I'm uh, doing this, uh, you know, from, from where I live most of the time. Um, but again, you know, this was just an extension of the sort of work I did uh, for many years as a journalist, um, where I was, I was being paid, you know, and, and this kind of journalism is important. And one thing I would like to say, we really need to support as a society public interest journalism, and it, it is under pressure all over the world. Uh, there was a lot of public interest journalism as I, you know, grew up as, and was learning myself as a journalist, um, you know, from public broadcasters and a very, very you know, and it was well-funded. Journalism was much more well-funded. Um, and, and there were lots of um, investigative work being done by journalists, and, and that has fallen away in recent years, um, and um, I, through the internet, um, which is obviously a much, uh, you know, almost free medium, have been trying to continue that sort of work. But I, I worry. I mm. worry that there is not enough public interest journalism, and we need to find ways to support it for the benefit of all of us. We all really do need to know, um, you know, what's really going on, as opposed to what wealthy commissioners of lies 
want to um, have us believe. Um, and for that, we need dedicated public interest journalism, and it needs to be identified as such. So, um, you know, that's something I was, I've been privileged to have had a career in and to still now be bringing for voluntary purposes um, in my later years, um, you know, through Sarah Report. But it's nothing different to what I've done all my life. Why do you feel there's a lack of public interest journalism? I think there was a period where people got a bit, you know, it, it became a very popular genre and there was a lot of pushback. I think that's been the problem. It's very powerful. Um, and what you have is a dynamic where there, you know, power and wealth have become concentrated over the last couple of decades, mm-hmm. uh, much more so than they were um, in the mid 20th century. And those people obviously are the target of a great deal of this kind of journalism. Um, and they have found ways to push back. There's been privacy legislation, protective measures for people facing newspaper investigations have been pushed through, particularly in places like the United Kingdom. Um, you know, they have sought to use their influence to skew the legal system in the favor of the um, target of journalism. Um, and uh, that's of no use to you and me, Janice, because you and I don't have the resources to spend millions on uh, lawsuits. Mm-hmm. But of course, the people who we are trying to hold accountable do. And they use, they lose these lawsuits to um, threaten journalists. Uh, and you see it going on. It's going on in the United States in a very high profile case right now, where we're seeing the most powerful man in the United States threatening um, you know, threatening Twitter. And um, it's not so much the fact that, you know, the law will end up in the favor of such people. It's the fact that they're costing a an industry that's under financial strain, as you well know, the media industry is under financial strain. Um, they're costing them money through these lawsuits. And so this has had a very, very pernicious effect on um, the appetite of uh, news uh, providers to uh, to go after the rich and powerful and hold them to mm-hmm. account through their news organizations. Okay. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons why I've been successful doing it as a loan operator has been because I have nothing to lose. Uh, and that's been one way of, of fighting this. Um, you know, um, don't, you know, you just actually say, um, you can't destroy me, I have nothing to lose. But that's, that's not very satisfactory. I think we need to recognize the problem. I think we need to fund private public interest journalism. And I think mm-hmm. we need to protect it better under the law. Otherwise, um, this um, excess power uh, that is already in the hands of a very small number of very wealthy people is, is going to increase um, at the expense of the rights and freedoms of all the rest of us. So the balance has got to be reasserted between the right of someone to have a reply, uh, to be able to answer back, um, and the right of journalists to be able to publish the truth without being bankrupted. Off the top of your head, what is one change you hope to see now post 1MDB investigation? You very much hope that by exposing these issues, uh, that you can um, help uh, bring society to, to improving structures, making judgments, bringing in better laws. And I think one of the things that um, has really uh, been highlighted by 1MDB has been the problems with our secrecy 
offshore. A vast chunk, over half, I suspect, of the world's economy has now been taken out of the hands of governments and jurisdiction. So you and I, we pay tax. We have to abide by the laws. The super rich take their money away from any jurisdiction because they're able to hide them in little islands in the middle of the oceans that, you know, that those jurisdictions are allowing to exist. And, you know, I think that at some stage it would be, you know, I would really, you know, um, hope that exposes like 1MDB explain to legislators why it is intolerable in the public interest that this is allowed to continue because we could deal with these offshore havens, of course we could. Legislators are turning a blind eye because countries are competing with each other for the dirty money laundering business. That began in the 1980s um, and it's got out of control. It's got so out of control that actually, you know, all the global finances are going into the hands of a few people who are using this system and the rest of us are suffering as a result. So we need to get to grips with the offshore system as a global community. And I think that will, that will you know, show a resolute determination to enforce the law on everyone. Could you share some tips for budding journalists, especially those who wish to pursue the investigative route? Well, I worry so much about where they're going to find jobs. I mean, look at me. I've had to sort of really kind of, you know, um, do this on my own. So I think, you know, get into a newsroom and persuade your boss that they really do need a unit that does this stuff, (laughs) Um, you know. And um, I I think a lot of your, if you are working in an organization, you'll find a very large part of your job, if you're you're doing investigative stuff, is relaxing the boss, Uh, keeping, you know, calming the legal department. And they are always, you know, if you're meticulous and careful and you think in advance of all the things that could go wrong in a story and you're really well prepared and you don't just try and ignore, you know, uncomfortable details, then your boss and your lawyers are going to be much more relaxed about what you're doing. So, um, you know, try and make life less terrifying for them by being (laughs) really meticulous you know, and, and, and self-disciplined about the stories you're covering. Let's turn our attention to something more forward-looking and look at the journalism and content industry as a whole. First things first, how do you think Malaysia's media industry would be like moving forward? Well, look, we're having a conversation at a sort of knife-edge period in Malaysia's um, political and social history. You know, we're going to have to see where this goes. Um, you had a you had a you know a major overturning of what had become a very authoritarian regime, mm-hmm. and whatever complaints one might have had about the government that succeeded, one thing that was absolutely certain was that it it liberated people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last two years, people have been able to say things again. Journalists have been able to actually do stories and criticize. Um, and, and, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people did absolutely um, appreciate the importance of that freedom, but maybe others didn't understand how important that was to good governance. Um, and, um, you know, um, that has evaporated with the, uh, you know, the, the change of government, the snatch of power and the new direction the country's in. Um, and, uh, you know, people, you know, I, I now, I now hear that newsrooms and news editors are being threatened again, that they mustn't be critical of power. 
mm-hmm. um, and that's you know that's a very concerning step. So where things turn out politically in Malaysia will determine to a very great degree where things will turn out in your media future, whether you will become mm-hmm. a once again a more vibrant free media or whether you know journalists are going to tiptoe around looking over their shoulder, fearful of criticizing power and basically just writing, you know, what uh, the politicians in charge want them to write. Mm-hmm. It's very, and, and, and the effect, you know, and the difference that that makes to society's prosperity, happiness, um, to the rule of law and order and all the rest is, is, is absolutely fundamental. I am optimistic for your future. I think that Malaysia, you know, is a, is, is a well-educated, advanced, uh, you know, mixed society of, you know, fizzing young educated minds who have, you know, very good grasp of all these issues and, you know, who ha- are reforming and, and um, you know, and, and also benevolent towards, um, you know, the wider society, um, idealistic. I think that the chances that you can pull through um, um, and progress, um, you know, are, are very strong indeed. Um, otherwise, you know, I perhaps wouldn't be putting so much effort of my own into fighting the good fight um, for that. Um, okay. And I, I hope that you will come out of this, um, you know, as, as a really successful, thriving, free society. In your view, how can the media industry balance itself commercially and still maintain integrity? I've had a luxury of coming from pu- a lot public interest um, and public funded journalism, and sort of, you know, the, the, the wonderful compromise they came up with in the United Kingdom with the BBC. They created a state broadcaster by giving them a, a financial um, source of income that was independent, a license fee. So, so it wasn't the government that was directly paying the state broadcaster. And for a long time, it was, it was a very successful model because it gave a public-owned, public-interest, uh, you know, uh, organization, uh, an element of independence and freedom. Most media has to, has to finance itself, and it's, it's finding the right balance. And, and most commercial media has, has an inbuilt bias, um, mm-hmm. a political bias, if it's owned by a, a company or, or, or a family. You know, the, the bias is there, or, or it may be just the like-minded people um, who are promoting a, a view of the world, or, you know, a magazine that's a political magazine. I think if it's an honest bias, then um, that's the key. If people know that they are reading a magazine that comes from a certain viewpoint and doesn't hide it, then, um, then they can exercise their judgment. Um, that's very different from the sort of deceptive, uh, you know, abusive social media that we were discussing earlier, mm-hmm. where people are pretending to be one thing when actually they're another. When I read Sarawak Report and see a headline that is all in capital letters, it captures my attention and makes me want to click on it. How have you had to evolve your content with the media fragmentation and shorter attention spans? Yeah, well, the headline is always has always been crucial, hasn't it? Um, headline writing is where you know what's annoying is when the headline's misleading. The story isn't anything about anything like what the headline is, and and after after someone else writes the headline, and the journalist is left horrified because the headline you know might not be quite accurate. But um, you know, I, I've I've actually because Sarawak Report is such a rare resource in that so many Malaysian newspapers you know weren't able to. Uh, to, to write about these things, I soon find myself putting a lot of detail. A lot of Sarawak Report articles, you know, sometimes I get criticized and they say, people say, gosh, you know, that was a really long detailed article. 
couldn't you have been more um, concise? Um, but actually, I have been writing quite long articles because, um, you know, I felt there was a hunger in Malaysia. This was information that people needed. They needed all the information they could get on this subject. Um, they needed to understand why it was that I knew I was writing about the truth when there was all the, you know, all the big media, you know, were, were attacking me, saying I was a liar. So I had to lay out all the, all the evidence I had that substantiated the story in a way that perhaps normally a newspaper wouldn't, you know, because they already have the credibility, whatever, you know, the, the, the reader takes it for granted that, you know, if they're saying it, it's because they can back it up. I actually backed it up in the article. And I thought, well, at least that will help journalists in Malaysia make their, their professional judgments on the story. But what I found was that actually thousands of, of you know, regular Malaysian readers were reading the detail as well themselves. They were also had a huge tolerance for these long articles. Um, in a way you wouldn't dare get away with if it was a British audience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> expecting to have four paragraphs um, you know, um, to read. So um, I was very impressed by my Malaysian readership and their capacity to absorb, you know, really complex stories. Uh, and I think part of that was because, um, you know, this was so valuable, um, the information they were getting, so important to them to, to work out what was true and what wasn't. Um, so there's a time and a place for different kinds of journalism, I guess. Thank you for listening to Marketing Connected. I am your host, Janice Tan, and we will be back next week with another session. Marketing's Content 360 Virtual Conference brings together industry leaders to discuss challenges and share insights on future content marketing trends, as well as successful strategies to help tackle the complex marketing landscape. Topics covered include the future of content strategy, content marketing ROI and measurement, as well as endemic content. Sign up now at www.marketing-interactive.com. The Marketing Connected series is produced by Marketing Interactive.